Vincent the Dude. Hey, good Monday afternoon from a very sunny and beautiful Freight Alley, my friend. You know, I, Gorgeous. I woke up um, I woke up Sunday morning, yeah. and I was really excited. I was leading the Freight Waves NCAA tournament. You were kicking butt all, last, all, all through the weekend. I think weekend. it's Saturday. <laughs> that, uh, that, that's the last I'll ever be at the top, though. Oh, that uh, my, my whole game just got destroyed Oh, because the UConn women got you, didn't they? I think I went two out of six. No, Ooh. they didn't play Sunday. They were already eliminated at that point, which already <laughs> ruined part yeah. of uh, my bracket. It's officially spring, too. You might notice by my shirt, or as uh, I think our new tradition should be every, you know, the, the first sign of spring is when an evergreen vessel gets stuck. Yeah, sure. That's, in, that's uh, the spring solstice. In, in the harbor. That's exactly <laughs> that's how we know spring's happening. Stuck, right? <laughs> I had a good Sunday, man. I shot right up the brass brackets. Thanks to the hurricanes and the we'll uh, boilermakers. Hey, Kevin Hill, he's sneaking in there. He, he's, he's, I think he's got Kansas. He's, uh, he's got an end game plan. So look Ooh. out for Kevin, too. He might win that Yeti cooler, everybody. He might. Give you he more might. reason. By the way, let's take a look at this video right here. So cheap, fast, good, choose one. Woo. There we go. That happened. That happened just after midnight in Southern California at uh, about 1210. Apparently, uh, this Alex <laughs> Choi, Alex Choi put a video out on YouTube and he had met with. I guess there's a Tesla meetup that goes on in Southern California, right? They all met up, and then some person who rented Tesla Model S came <laughs> up and said, they didn't know, it was, I don't know if they knew it was rented at the time. That's the news story later, but they said, hey, go check this out. So all these like different Tesla influencers came to this hill, right? And uh, where is this? Baxter Street and Alvarado Street. It's a Tesla S. S B L M. The cops are currently looking for the driver. They said that uh, there's ten thousand dollar reward. On the Alex Choi video, you can actually see someone went up to this car. There was like three people inside of it. He said that there was also one of them was holding a cat. I guess they got out of the car though and dipped. So now nobody knows exactly who was the driver of that vehicle. And uh, the homeowners on the street are really upset as they went Duke's answered like that. And they said, they said the worst thing is this isn't the first time that, uh, that that happened. And if you look at the slope of that hill, I can kind of see why. Yeah, it'd be a great place to go jump your cars. But, dude, that guy, I can't imagine he went a little bit further and higher than he thought he was going to go. I would think so. I mean, <laughs> I mean good on the goes, Teslas for man. the airbags on the inside. I mean, they did wow. walk away. They even... On one of the videos, you can see the guy has his hand, like, just chilling, just holding onto the side of the window as they're flying out. Just total Duke's hazard <laughs> style. Everyone wow. is, is fine. How's the bus? Police not looking too hard. Residents on the street say they don't think anything's going to happen because it was just property damage. And it's for the rental company, I guess, and those people on the street to, to figure out next. Yeah. Did he have insurance on that car or not? I wonder. Speaking of uh, what the truck and things getting messed up, let's take a look at one more video here. We have another Ooh. moment of Ooh, what do we got? Here? What the truck. Let's watch this. Uh, oh, yeah. So there's this dash cam footage we're seeing down here. And watch the uh, these two intermodal containers that drive by. Keep a close eye on them, the second one, the first one there, the, the maroon yeah, one, one, as it passes the cruiser. Look at that, it fell right off, it hit the police cruiser, yeah. and fell right over the side of the bridge. This yeah. was, where was this, Charleston, South Carolina? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, and it was, uh, I mean, that's not the truck, the, the container is yeah. blown right off of the chassis. The, the good news is, so they're on a bridge here. They're on the Wando Bridge. Fortunately, the Wando Bridge does not go over another roadway. It actually goes over the Wando River. And unless someone was out there, you know, casting a line on, on the weekend, they, they were, <laughs> yeah, which I think it just fell in the minor incidents. Nobody hurt, but look at that. I mean, incredibly thankful, super close call. Yeah, it really is. How did you, I mean, it must, I guess it wasn't locked. 
I guess, yeah, I would think that there's negligence there. They don't have the pins down. Yeah, they can't have the pins locked. I mean, I mean, there was high wind going on in the area yeah, at the same time. Yeah, but that's not going to blow but, it uh, off the locks. Yeah. The whole thing would... Between those wow. two crazy incidents, nobody hurt. That's awesome. Let's get to things. Let's tip the band first, though. Looking for a new adventure? Take the next step on your career journey with <laughs> AIT Worldwide Logistics. When you join their growing team, you'll collaborate with expert colleagues around the world to create innovative solutions backed by world-class customer service. If you're ready to push the supply chain envelope, your next adventure is waiting. Visit the career sections at Tell em, Dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com and apply and learn more today. Hey, the sonar market, the freight market, truck yeah. market, it's starting oh, to get yeah. really interesting. Let's get to some headlines. Yeah, let's do it. Sizzle! All right, can I, let's throw this first chart up here, and we'll walk you through a little bit about what is happening. Wow. Take a look at this screen. Uh, so Michael Rudolph here reports that OTVI, and if you're looking right here, too, where, what do we got, three lines on here? What are these, Michael Vincent? These are the past three years, right, of outbound tender volumes. Yeah, they absolutely are. You've got uh, blue is obviously, well, not obviously, but blue is this year, green is 21, and uh, orange is, is 20. We all know what happened in orange. Yeah, so you know we're, we're doing moving. better than 20, not doing as, as good as uh, 21. Um, it's actually it's declined by 3.52% over the past week and is down 9.26 year over year, reaching its lowest point since early January. In early January, drivers were slow to return to the road because they just had experienced record profits in the previous year. Yeah, that's right. Excluding both this period and other holiday-affected weeks, OTVI is at its lowest level since February 2021 when the flow of freight was hamstrung by severe winter storms nationwide. So there was some seasonality going on, but there's also an event. Charleston, South Carolina, which is the home of one of the largest seaports on the East Coast, experienced eight, so this isn't even across the board, though. They experienced a 14.75% jump in outbound volume. Shippers are increasingly frustrated, though, by dwell times and congestion congestion in major West Coast ports, referring to pay instead for these East Coast seaports. So we're seeing a volume transition as well. So we're seeing a decline and also a transition of where you're going to find it. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. I mean, you, when you look at this stuff here, you see, you see things kind of relaxing a little bit or coming down. It's no time to keep your or no time to take your eye off the ball because, like you said, Charleston's blowing up. And There's by volume, we simply mean that's just how much freight is is there, right? That's how much yeah. freight is in the is in the system and is flowing back and forth. Yeah, exactly. And that's overall, so that's not individual markets. So rejection rates continue to plummet as well, mm-hmm. right? And you, you so you got last week's. We got another one here. Yeah, there it is. So we got the uh, last week's O try or outbound tender rejection which is uh, contracted uh, sh- uh, truckloads being rejected. Dipping beneath 18% was a cause for celebration last week, but this week it's down below uh, almost 16%. Yeah. It's almost uh, to 60%, leaving carriers and shippers alike with a new floor or... or you know, where is the new floor going to be, right? Any additional capacity is ultimately limited by ongoing semiconductors as well, which is, uh, interestingly enough, the Russian invasion and war in Ukraine is mm-hmm. causing a big problem there because half of the world's, what is it, the, uh, um, uh, Z, what is it, uh, Argon, what is it? Palladium. Yeah, exactly. That for for um, the laser chips is, is, is not there. For the lasers to create the chips is gone, coming yeah. out of Ukraine. Yeah, it's a big Which issue. Is and as you see there, as volumes go down, so do red rejects because those sort of interplay. The more volume is, the more capacity that's soaked up, the more carriers cannot move freight because they are, you know, busy moving that. Or there's a really heavy, healthy spot market to look at. Let's look at some of those numbers yeah. as well. What is going on in the spot market? Well, you know what? We had these really nice peaks. We've hit the high. We a couple about a month and two months ago, we hit the mm. highest number in the series history, going over like 380. Ever since, though, it's been a downhill ski slope since this year, right? And now we're down to 345, still 95 cents higher than a year ago in the spot market. But one thing that's really interesting here is that 
as spot goes in one direction, contracts still just ratcheting up. Look at that. All year long, it's just been going up, 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 and away. Yeah. Uh, Will that trail the spot market? Do you, do you anticipate that falling as well? What do you see happening here? I mean, it's it depends on where we go with the with the cycle of, of bids, right? But as as uh, freight comes down, that will eventually come down. I would imagine it would definitely come down, and it'll definitely uh, it'll definitely trail it. What'll what's going on right now is there's just there's still a ton of volume out there. Right. I mean, we're still up there in the 13s and 14s and you still got 16 percent, you know, rejection rates that are out there right now. So the pressures aren't quite there to really just start killing the contract rates yet, even though because like you said, it's still 95 percent high, the spot rate. Well, I know there's still some tight, tight markets out there, even though it's not going up. Some drivers are getting a little antsy, especially the ones that are paying for their own fuel because sure. they are seeing those costs up. Sure. The good news there is that for the first week in a long time, gasoline and diesel had a nine-cent decline week over week. So maybe we're back onto a little bit of a road to recovery there, we can only hope. And again, you're still 95 cents higher than you were a year ago. You were, but I mean, there's there's definitely headwinds for a strong uh, trucking market as you got warehouses are full, yeah. which is a sign. You got a weakening consumer right now with higher revolving debts and stuff like that. So, uh, and even imports, you know, I put that out there the other day or yesterday, you know, the imports are, uh, even though shipments are still pretty, pretty solid and up and you've got the chance, you know, Charleston up, it's the size of those shipments is shrinking. It's a market to watch, though. It's a market to watch. Keep your oh, yeah. eyes on it. Speaking of watching, go to FreightWaves.com or reading. Uh, there's a few more headlines here. We don't really have time to get to them, but they're worth checking out. East Coast Ports about to get slammed by a lot more ships. That one's by Greg Miller. Right now, there's more than 63 container ships mm-hmm. on the East Coast. In our last report, we kind of touched on that volume shifting, right? So if you've been parking out on the West Coast, and especially been doing those Dallas runs, you've looked in our track, you know that 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 has been on the decline for a long time. Yep. Might want to reposition yourself over the East Coast here if you're running them dray loops, right, or you're servicing them ports because uh, it looks like um, that echo effect that happens in freight where, like, your broker, everyone says, uh, you know, the West Coast is too congested. Maybe you should move and, and rebook your freight. That takes a while for every shipper to do that, but it seems like a lot have jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah, they they certainly have, and and you you can't just change on a dime, right? You book it to one port, it's going there, and it could take 30 days or, or long. Well, we've seen 45, 60 days for that to actually hit the port, right? So, uh, yeah, it doesn't change on a dime. Yeah, last thing, Milton's Trevor Milton's trial date has uh, has been moved, right? He tried to... He tried to have this move closer to Phoenix from New York. Uh, the court date was supposed to actually be in two weeks from now. It's now, it's tentatively going to be July 18th. They actually have uh, this picture here. This is how Nicola is sort of saying that they're they're going. Now, let's take a look at this one. <laughs> Jason Royt, he said, Rocky Four is an epic pick, overcoming unbelievable odds, training the right way. Rocky hit it hard with training in the extreme cold. We're doing the same right now. Rocky won in a hostile crowd. We're going to do the same. So Nikola Trucks no longer powered by Hills, now powered by Rocky training in Russia. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a picture of the potential um, punishment for Trevor Milton there, having to pull sleds around. Well, I, you know, I did like make that. I did make a joke and like some hard labor out in uh, yeah, 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 exactly. I, I did make I did make a joke and actually Jason from Nicola he reached out and he said, "Well, why don't you hear about our comeback story?" I said, there "Jason, you you wanna, if you're willing to answer some tough questions about Nicola and you want to tell me about your comeback story and the dude, we're more than happy to have you on the show." Amen. Amen. Hey, you know Let's what? Do it. It's getting nice outside, right? It is. You might want to go out and uh, and have some good ideas. You might have some bad ideas, like, hey, it's nice. Let's go steal some cargo. I don't have to wear gloves anymore, and I don't need a coat. Well, it is the season. It is the season. Let's find out what those trends are like, though. Let's talk to Scott Cornell, a national practice lead for transportation crime and theft specialist at Travelers. Bracket still intact over there, Scott? Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a tough weekend. 
Let's not talk about my bracket, okay? How's your bracket doing? Uh, it was, you know, like I said at the beginning, Sunday I was in first place, but I had no endgame. So it, it was just a cruel mockery of circumstance. That, that's what it was. <laughs> but Scott, it's nice yeah. to have you. It's nice to have you back. Uh, you've talked to us before about uh, what your teams are doing to serve cargo theft, and it's a brand new season. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on now. What are the trends as it relates, relates to some of these cargo thefts and changes in the country right now? Yeah, it's great to be back with you guys. I, I think, you know, when we talk about trends, we always go back a little bit and look at past trends and how they impact current trends or, or where they may dovetail. And so we always say, you know, the economy and whatever's going on with the economy is going to have an impact, meaning the, the golden rule is cargo thieves are always going to steal what they know they can sell. And you guys touched a little bit on this a little earlier. I've been listening to you guys for a little while here, and you, know, you talked about potential shortages on chips and things like that. And we saw some of the impact of that. So if you go back to even to 2008, you know, coming into 2008, electronics was the number one stolen commodity. A lot of people were spending money on electronics, but then the economy took a downturn. And by 2010, food and beverage was the number one stolen commodity because when, when economic scenarios are rough, people will go back to the basics. They're going to feed themselves, clothe themselves, shelter themselves and kind of, you know, weather the storm, so to speak. And, and food and beverage stayed in that number one spot because they found out it's a great commodity to steal. It's hard to trace. The evidence disappears. Well, you fast forward to 2020, and we saw big spikes in 2020 on theft. And what did we see take that number one category was household goods. Because what did we hear when during the pandemic, people were staying home, they were changing things at their house. They were building home offices. They were, you know, making changes to their home. And so cargo thieves recognized this. They targeted those things. Then we move into 2021 and we see, you know, a, a shortage of electronics and, and availability of chips and things like that. And so in 2021, we saw big spikes in the theft of electronics, uh, especially in that Southern California area. A lot of it were pilferage uh, based thefts where they were just taking part of the loads. But electronics was significantly targeted. And coming into 2022, electronics is still in that targeted area and still uh, probably in that number one category. We'll see for sure when we see the first quarter numbers uh, play out. But, you know, it's it's a demand thing. And when things are short or when things, uh, you know, we're going to see household goods still in that top three. We're going to see food and beverage remain in that top three. Um, and, and so we talk about what are the high target loads, not just the high value, but what are the high target loads? Yes. Let's talk about that a little bit, the high target or high theft categories that are there. Can you tell us what you mean by that and how do you guys determine that? And how can I, as a shipper, determine what that is? Absolutely. So that I go back to that 2008 reference coming into that. A lot of people in the industry or a lot of businesses, a lot of companies, the industry term was HTL uh, or uh, sorry, HVL, high value load. And companies would use a specific uh, dollar amount to trigger that uh, in their in their you know daily business. And it could be different for everybody. It could be $100,000 value on a load, $150,000, $200,000. And they kind of looked at that as, you know, at this number, we're going to start to see more targeting for theft. And it might have been true for a while. It was true for a while, to be to be honest, when electronics was in that number one slot for so long. But then we saw food and beverage take over. And as we traveled around the country meeting with clients or speaking and teaching, 
and food and beverage was in that number one uh, category, we said to a lot of people, hey, how many of you are operating under a high value load trigger? And almost everybody would, would confirm that that's what they, they were doing. And then we'd say, okay, what's the average value of a, you know, load of food or beverage? And that would range anywhere between 75,000 to, you know, maybe 125, 150,000 if you were getting up there on some frozen meats and things like that, which means maybe the security protocols that they had in place at that 150 mark and up weren't being used for the number one targeted commodity. So when we work with our clients, we teach them HTL, high target. What are the target mm. commodities in the top five, top 10? And how are you going to build your security and your preventive measures around those categories? So, Scott, what would some of those preventative measures be? Well, let's talk about food. I think food is a great one. And I know when you spoke uh, last with my colleague, Elizabeth, you talked a little bit about, you know, food and perishables. So when you talk about prevention with food, you have to even just take into account a seal. A broken seal can become a real issue. If a, if a load of perishables or consumables arrives with a broken seal on it, you know, a, a lot of people are concerned about, you know, what's the integrity of the load? Is there uh, you know, has that load maybe been pilfered? So did they take a couple of boxes off the back? And what does that mean for the entire load? And when you talk about commodities like food and beverage, nobody really wants to take a chance on, on that type of a commodity. So if you have a pilferage where maybe they only took a few boxes off the back, you could end up losing that entire load because nobody wants to put that back into the supply chain or it needs to be destroyed. And that depends on what your contract situation is, what your, your arrangement is with your shipper. But so we encourage, hey, you have to have some prevention just on the seal alone. Now, we want prevention overall on the load, but let's use seal locks. Let's, you know, have high security rear door locks that can make sure and guarantee, even if the seal is broken, that we know that the doors weren't opened and we know nobody had access to those types of loads. So when it comes to those those perishables and those consumables, prevention is really key because even if you don't lose the entire load, you might lose the entire load. Yeah, yeah, the integrity being uh, compromised is a big thing. Awesome stuff, Scott. I love it. Uh, before we we close, can we get any uh, parting thoughts on what you can expect looking forward to uh, 2023? Sure. I think if all things are normal, if you can if you can even talk about cargo theft in the category of being normal, right, we, we should see a shifting back to food and beverage sometime in 2022. But if some of the things that you talked about earlier come true, you know, uh, with a shortage on chips or, or conductors or anything like that, then we, we could see that uh, target commodity stay in that front runner. And, and, you know, what's really critical is monitor what's going on, monitor what's in demand. And if you're moving that, you're hauling that, then you probably need to have some, uh, some significant preventive measures. And, and what is your plan? You know, do you have a plan to prevent and do you have a plan to react? And are you getting involved in industry organizations like TAPA, as an example, the Transported Asset Protection Association, that is a, a nonprofit organization out there that sets global standards on, um, you know, supply chain security and prevention? Are you accessing, uh, you know, resources like that that are going to help you with that plan? And, and work with your carrier. We work with our clients on a daily basis to help teach them prevention, and, and we're there to recover it, you know, with our with our cargo theft investigation team if they were to have a loss. 
Thank you very much, Scott. Everyone check out Travelers, and uh, I would say good luck with your bracket, but you've told us it's already, uh, it's already decimated. So. <laughs> so, Scott, you just have a good day regardless. Take, take care. We'll get to you good next luck, time. Guys. Take care. Take always next year. So it's There's always next year. I hope there is at least. <laughs> Angela Mancuso, Executive Vice President, Global Human Resource at AIT Worldwide Logistics. Angela, are, are you and the team over at AIT doing a company-wide bracket? <laughs> no. No, we're not. And I definitely uh, would not participate. I would, I'd probably need to ask my 12-year-old who to pick. It's only led to ridicule and low self-esteem issues for me, so I think that you're very smart in making the, the decision not to, not to do this. Let's talk about the big picture, though, right? Everybody wants to get employees back in the office. Everybody wants to recruit, and a lot of employees, too, they realize this, so there's two sides of the market going on, and they're taking advantage of it. Are you seeing any improvement, though, in terms of recruiting and hiring new employees? Sure. You know, I think recruiting is still challenging for all of us employers. It's it's a seller's market, right? Candidates have that leverage to uh, be a little choosy and and who they want to work for. I think we're seeing it not only just right a general demand for workers, but skilled labor is is probably the highest demand ever, right? Trying to find new teammates that have that air or ocean experience that can come in and hit the ground running is an ongoing challenge. So I think the, the last stat I saw was about 60% increase in, in freight transport by 2050. So I, I think all that's telling me is there's, there's going to be an ongoing demand for logistics workers and all of us employers are going to have to start adjusting our recruiting strategies to be able to fill that talent funnel. Yeah, and it's becoming a much more desirable uh, uh, type of uh, uh, career path to take as in logistics as oh, becoming sure. more popular. But you've got job seekers right now. They're basically, you know, they're, they're in the driver's seat right now, so to speak, no pun intended, but they're, they're being choosy. What are the things that you're seeing they're being choosy about when they're looking for jobs? Is it just the highest bidder or what are they looking for? No, not necessarily. I mean, obviously, in a, in a seller's market, compensation, of course, is going to play a factor. But I think, you know, applicants also want to work somewhere where they feel like really aligns with their personal values and their purpose. So they're getting a chance to go out there and have an opportunity to be selective. And that goes beyond pay. Uh, I think for us as employers, right, we need to start asking ourselves or showcasing, right, what are we doing related to creating those employee experiences where someone does want to come work for us? Um, what are we focused on related to sustainability and giving back to our community? What are we doing from a volunteering philanthropic perspective? Right, These are all things that I think applicants are looking at. Uh, because they're personally personally a value for them and trying to find a match from an employer perspective. Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, coming out of the pandemic, flexibility, the, the focus on mental health is more important than it's ever been for applicants. Um, I don't know if any of you have kids, but man, the, the shortage of finding a babysitter, it's it's like a real problem out there. Oh, yeah. And you couple that, I think, with, uh, you know, every employee out there having to deal with either homeschooling, remote learning, uh, lack of child care because of the pandemic. You know, some of those focus areas around hybrid work, remote work, and just having flexibility 
is more important than ever before. And I think we see it with, with our applicants of asking a lot of those questions of, of, you know, what are we focused on and what is so special about our company outside of just compensation? Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing, you bring up such an interesting point there too. I've been hearing so much about sort of hybrid marriages as well. We're, we're like, for example, my wife, she works freelance, right? It doesn't really make sense for her to to even look for full-time right now because we have a, a five and a seven-year-old, right? So she does freelance. She can set her own schedule and we don't have to worry about those childcare costs and all of those kind of things. Um, uh, that's a great point. And, you know, because that also limits a factor in the work the workforce as well. And we're in yeah. a workforce that if you think about it, there's probably a comparatively limited pool of subject matter experts right now, especially sure. uh, individuals who are looking for longer term careers in this business. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's right. That's part of the challenge. We're all looking for experienced <laughs> staff. And I think over time, right, we're, we're going to have to address our strategies to be able to engage new talent that's not from the industry. So how are you going out and you know partnering with high schools or community colleges and four-year universities to try to showcase to students there's there's a career in logistics and finding those applicants that are a cultural fit uh, have the same values that are important to you as a company you know you can you can train on the skills you can build out a robust training program but we're we're all going to have to start hiring people that don't have the skill set coming in through the door uh, and provide that training to get them up to speed. Yeah, I've heard that before, you know, Angela, hire for culture first, and then you can train them the skills in, in many, many job applications. It doesn't work so much for a neurosurgeon, but in, in others, <laughs> it actually does. And obviously, you guys have figured out something there. You guys are doing it right. You were named one of the best mid-sized employers in the United States by Forbes magazines. Um, and so much, like we said, so much competition for talent. Um, what are some of the out-of-box strategies that you can suggest to others? Yeah, there's there's a couple things that come to mind. First would be, you know, showcase your current employees. Uh, I don't know about you, but if if I go to hire a vendor to service something in my home, what do we do? We we ask around, right, and and ask what that experience was like working with that vendor. And applicants are no different, right? They are consumers. They want to also shop around. So. Um, give that opportunity to spotlight and showcase some of the amazing people that you have in your workforce. And why do they stay? Why do they enjoy working for you? Um, the other thing would be, you know, kind of maybe offer a try before you buy model. Uh, tech has been doing this forever. They, they have called them brew nights where you, you give applicants an opportunity to come into your organization and meet with your management team, showcase your culture, Give them a chance to see your facilities and actually experience what life would be like working for you before they move forward and engage in additional opportunities or conversations about coming on board as a, as a new employee. And finally, I would say, listen to your current employees, right? I, I think all of us would probably say more than half of our workforce is being recruited on a daily basis. So what are what are we doing to retain our staff? And mm -hmm. I know our HR strategy is continuous focus on development, recognition, rewards, compensation to make sure that we're listening to our current staff. 
uh, and action on their feedback, right? So take, take whatever it is that your employees are telling you uh, to make it a better workplace and action on it. And uh, those are probably the three things that I'd focus on. I have to agree. I think clear career pathways are so important right now, too, yeah. because that's what's sticky to people. Yeah. If you haven't had anyone talk to you and you don't have any clear goal on what's next, then you start thinking, well, they're not investing in me or they're not going to move me forward. And I have this great offer. Why don't I go pursue it? Right. I mean, if, yeah, exactly. it's not it's not rocket science. No, here. it's really not. Well, Angela, people who want people who are looking to make a, a jump, maybe they are the subject matter experts or maybe they want to be the next generation of worker in this business. Where do I send them to? Uh, AIT Worldwide to our careers page. Thank you very much, then. Thanks for your support of the show. We appreciate your time today. Thanks. Yeah, nice seeing you. Take it easy, Angela. Good stuff. Well, did you know that Forbes just named AIT Worldwide Logistics as one of America's best midsize employees for 2022? In fact, you just asked Angela I, about that. I did. AIT is the number one employer in the transportation logistics category. Boost your job satisfaction, regain a sense of purpose, and open your career opportunities with one of the fastest growing organizations in the industry. Visit the career section on Tell Em, Dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com to learn more and apply today immediately after this show. Let's talk to uh, Mason George. Let's He's the that. president at IMC Companies. And I'm excited to talk to him because last time we did, the West Coast was a mess, right? And now the East Coast <laughs> is really starting to clog up as well. You can't yeah, win. You true. can't win. Mm -mm. Mason, how are you doing today? And is your bracket still intact? Oh, no, absolutely not. Uh, we were obliterated in the first weekend, like always, right? <laughs> what about you guys? How are y'all doing? <laughs> it, was, it didn't work out too well for me. He's still climbing up in the back. I, I, I went up. I'm... This weekend was good for me. It was very, very good for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I went up to fifth place. So, yeah. Hey, Mason, quick oh, that's fantastic. Uh, Mason, quick elevator on what you guys are doing over at IMC to get this audience up to speed. Well, fellas, we're all about peel piles still. Every day, all day, that's what we want to do. Um, and I, I was actually looking at our statistics over the last week or so. Um, last week, we picked up 1,265 containers out of the port of Long Beach and L.A., and the dwell time was only 1.5 days. So it's just incredible the success that we're having, getting things off terminal, delivered to customers who need it, and, and just keeping things fluid out there. What's dealing with the port like right now? I think, you know, when the calendar changed, a lot of people, the focus fell off the the West Coast. But uh, if you talk to the Drake community, still issues. But what are you seeing? You know, I, I it's still the same struggles. And I think people are just complacent with the mediocrity that's out there today, right? It's not as bad as it was probably October, September, but it's not anywhere better than, than um, what it should be. So there's too much still coming into the port and not enough coming out. Um, we've got a little reprieve in the volume based on just Chinese New Year and some of the backlog getting worked out. But, you know, it's 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 not any better by any, any stretch. Yeah, so um, Mason, let, let's talk about this a little bit. We talked about peel piles, smart stacks, what have you, last time that you were on. Can you go through that again and let people know how these exactly work? Yeah, so um, it, the traditional concept of a peel pile – pretty much dictates that you have to have enough cargo going to the same place that's block stowed at one terminal, right? So really, I think the traditional sense of a peel pile is only the mega shippers, the top, you know, 20 or 30 importers in the entire country are able to uh, successfully pull off a peel pile. And what we've done is we're, we're combining a bunch of the shippers and BCOs and freight forwarders together to give that same effect of the dense cargo coming off terminal 
to the small guy. So it's not just the big guys that are um, uh, benefiting from that transaction. It's everybody now. So who is using the smart stacks? Is this just over in SoCal or these East Coast sports starting to get clogged up too? You, are you bringing them out this way? Or are they already running? Yeah, so LA was kind of the the origination of the concept, but we're also doing that in Memphis, which is a rail terminal, and Chicago. So um, working very well with the BNSF on getting cargo out um, at those places. So that's that's up and running. We have done smart stacks in the Port of Newark um, as well as Savannah, Charlotte, and Norfolk. Um, it's a little harder just because you know, different type of, of operation. Those guys aren't as used to it, but I had a great conversation with my guys over at Global Container Terminal, GCT, and we're ready to get this thing up and going over there too in Newark. So, Mason, you mentioned um, uh, BNSF, and you mentioned the, the railheads there in, in uh, Memphis, I believe you said Memphis. Is it just exit the railheads or is this into enter into the railheads there in like Port of Long Beach and, and so on? Oh, that's a great question. So we are doing it in Chicago too, just as a, a quick um you know, refresher there, but it is exiting the terminal. So we take things direct track side in places like the BNSF Hobart mm -hmm. um, in Los Angeles, but we also uh, take things off as an exit uh, to those locations as well. So I'm looking at the stats here and it says that uh, you are pulling greater than 2000 containers per week from the ports in LA and Long Beach in less than 36 hours. Why is this method so much quicker? Why is it working so much more efficiently than what everyone else seems to be doing? You know, um, I think the best way to look at this is all of those containers are in this big Jenga stack, you know, and when you go in for container specific and have to dig down, you know, six, seven containers to get to the one that you need, it just kills the productivity. And mm. what people don't realize is all the unproductive lifts hold drivers up. There's these great pictures out there that are circulating LinkedIn and the whole just country of, we don't have a driver shortage problem. We have a driver utilization issue. And that's really what is, is driving this whole thing is that every time my driver has to wait for an extra lift, that's three minutes that I'm never getting back, that we don't get paid for, that we don't get back, and that we're losing um, just huge opportunity costs to keep these guys going efficient. And well, you guys know this, drivers want to drive. They don't want to mm. wait. And the mobile industry is just plagued with long wait times. And when you have containers that continue to go vertical, we have to come up with an, uh, a solution to get those things out quickly. So if you start slinging them off the top one at a time, it's going to get everybody a lot more efficient. And instead of somebody who's five trucks back waiting for legitimately 40 to 50 lifts before they get to their container, you're taking that all the way down to five. So the results are just so clear to us. Yeah. So, so Mason, I'm a, I'm a BCO and I'm listening to you and I'm thinking this is really, really interesting. One of the things that you write here uh, was that uh, there's an inverse relationship between these things as the, as the piles grow or the more volume goes, it reduces the amount of time that is there. How does that make sense? How does this actually work? Because one of the things fears I have is the FIFO. I really want first in, first out. But as a BCO, how do I not get piled underneath this stuff? Oh, that's, that is a huge concern for everybody, but it's a really simple answer. One, you don't move to another stack until the first stack is all the way cleared mm -hmm. through, right? So you're not stacking this stuff on a stagnant spot at the terminal. You are clearing one section and then going to the next section, right? And the to, to the other point of that is 
it's an inverse relationship. And the reason for that, it's almost a human nature play because as drivers understand and other vendors that we work with to get this stuff out, that there's more cargo there, they dedicate more trucks to it. So, you know, you might have a guy that's in line in the port of Long Beach that missed his terminal appointment for pickup, but he can jump in our peel pile line, get serviced the same day. So the bigger this thing is, the more attention you get and the more uh, detail uh, that you get from the ports and, and, and lift capacity that you get from the terminals to get things out. It's just a, it's, it's, it's a, a beautiful thing is really the only thing I can come up with here. Yeah. I mean, cause the current, the current method is, it's pretty antiquated. I, I've talked to some of the terminal operators over there and they're like, yeah, you know, you come in with your appointment, it mm -hmm. shows you on the computer where the container is, or mm -hmm. sometimes they say we don't even use the computers because they're so inefficient. We have spotters, yeah. we know where it is, but the problem is it can tell you where it is, but it might be four containers down in the stack with two over and, 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 and the, the, the equipment to move these and adjust them. It could take a while to get over to that. And that just compounds and compounds and compounds because you're talking about moving 2000 containers in 36 hours. We're talking about having to do this for every single one through that antiquated computer system. Yeah. And, and what's even more frustrating is we talk to our drivers and they're saying, you know what? Yep. The guy in front of me, they're, they're picking up the box that I want and they're burying it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's up there. Now it's down there. Now I got to wait in line to do all this stuff again. And once you get away from the box specific mentality and you start looking at the whole structure of this uh, on an average, if then, then you trust the system, right? So to that BCO who says, well, I want to send in a truck to go get that specific box that's going to kill the whole system if you can just say, I'm going to get it in two days. Now you're happy, and I promise you're going to get everything a lot quicker doing, doing things our way. Well, how do people do them your way? How do, where do we send them to to start working on some of these smart stacks and to talk to you, Mason? You know, I, would, I, would, I love talking about, about peel piles. It does not matter how big or small uh, your, your container shipments are on a yearly basis. I'll take them all because it just makes the system better. So what I would do is go to our website, imcc.com, or you could email our uh, peel pile at imcc.com. There's a lot of different ways you can reach out. But I'm, I'm yelling from the rooftops, fellas, because I just love this solution. It works for our drivers, it works for our customers, and it works for the terminals. It's the silver bullet that we need to get congestion off the marine terminals. We, yeah, we I hear you, it. Mason. Thank I you so it. much. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. See, you just you, you just need the buy-in, and it may not be right. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. But the current the current method is is so backwards that they use, and it's oh. so time consuming. You can ask all the guys; they'll tell Dude, you over there. If we had this back in the day, I wouldn't have lost that forty foot of uh, frozen lobsters. Frozen monsters. They weren't frozen when we bought them, when we found them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk a little bit about brand building next. We got Brett Suma. He is the CEO over at Loadsmith, and he's here with us right now. Hey, Brett, is your, uh, your bracket in uh, as, dis as much disrepair as ours? Um, I, I'm going to hate to admit this, but I don't follow college basketball at all. Well, that's insane. Smart me man. Either. Smart man. It just lowers <laughs> your self esteem, as Dooner put out later. It really does. It, it does. Well, Brett, we're going to talk Huge a little. It's not college basketball for some reason. Yeah, well, my new brand is person who's not good at picking college basketball games. But we're, <laughs> we're going to, I'm actually, I am working on a new brand. We're launching a, a new brand pretty soon. So I've been working on logos and hiring and all of that stuff. And I'm glad I have a chance to talk to you. Yeah. Because we're going to talk a little bit about brand building. How did you build that brand over at Loadsmith? What was your approach to everything? Well, I, I think that that we know that, you know, brand is important and positioning is important, but we also don't know what we don't know when it comes to branding. So 
we, we very early on um, partnered with a branding agency to help us um, really dial down what our brand essence is and what our positioning um, in the marketplace was going to be and how we were going to communicate uh, to all of the stakeholders, um, really looking at carriers, customers, and then, you know, potential hires as well. So uh, we took a very holistic approach to uh, the brand and how we wanted to position ourselves. Um, it's not an easy thing to do, um, especially when you're starting from scratch. Um, but it's just been something that we've continued to refine, work on, build. Um, there's a tremendous amount involved in brands um, that I was unaware of. And so I think that, that taking a step back and saying, okay, what type of business are we wanting to build here? Um, I think with Loadsmith, um, we, are, we are trying to build a business that lasts and a brand that resonates and a brand that lasts uh, versus maybe a more pop culture approach. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with going either way. Uh, just for us, we, we want to be uh, looked at 10, 15, 20 years from now as um, a very solid brand in the marketplace. And so we kind of skip over some of the pop culture stuff and really focus on, you know, what our value proposition is to our customer, to our carrier, and then internally to our people. So, uh, uh, Brett, as you're going through this and you're trying to avoid the, the, the pop culture, et cetera, like you said, it totally makes sense to me. So how do you understand and, or know if your brand is resonating? How, how long? I mean, some people, you got to stick with it, right? Some people quit the day before they're successful, right, <laughs> at doing something. But how yeah. do you know if it's actually resonating or you're going to get there? Well, I think that it, in our business, it, it, it's telling just in terms of are you able to grow your business in a profitable way? And I think that at the end of the day in transportation and logistics, that really is the litmus test in terms of, are you resonating? Um, we often talk when we engage with our customers about our growth and, and how the growth really demonstrates the you know, how we're resonating in the market because we don't get credit for booking a load. We get credit for delivering the load. And so we, you know, when you look at our revenue growth, our load count growth, our customer acquisition um, and the growth there, that's really when you know that you're resonating is because that's when you get credit, um, you know, and then then internal metrics that we look at in terms of what is our organic growth with our customers? Um, what about our carriers? What's our reuse rate on our carriers? What's our load to carrier ratio? Um, there's lots of different internal metrics that you can look at, but I think that it all really starts with where do you want to position yourself and then and how do you want to resonate in the marketplace and then really the results speak for themselves. And I think to touch on that, that topic of pop culture versus, you know, our approach is we don't post a lot in, in, in terms of social media posts. Um, but what we post is results. And I think that in our business results are very, very important. Um, more so I, I believe, um, than the pop culture aspect of things. But for us, you know, we, we feel like we're resonating very well and that our position is is right on target. Well, let's talk about that market a little bit. What is going on with freight volumes, rates, and fuel right now? A lot of ANSI drivers out there. I mean, shippers, they've been ANSI for over two years. So, you know, I mean, they're kind of, they're a little bit more used to it. But a lot of drivers are, they're seeing the rates come down. They're seeing the fuel go up, a little nervous right now. What are you seeing in the market? Well, I think that this market capitulation was predicted, or at least predictable. Um, if you rewound 
Loadsmith back to July of, of 2021, uh, we made a very concerted effort to change our mix of spot versus contractual freight, knowing that this was coming in 2022. And so um, when you look at our business today versus July of 20 of 21, so just, you know, so eight months ago, our business is completely different today. Um, we are very, very heavily contractual. In fact, our contractual business um, has grown exponentially throughout the last eight months to the point now where our contractual business um, is, is by far and away the, the leading piece of business for our, for our business. Now, that has a lot to do with our strategy and our brand positioning and, and the things that we're trying to achieve. Um, but I think that this was very predictable. I, I don't think that the fuel component um, obviously was predicted. And that's the unfortunate um, you know, situation in the market currently because fuel is rising, volumes dropping, tender rejects are falling, um, which is going to result in less spot freight. Incidentally, at the same time when you had, you know, maybe 100,000 new um, independent drivers hit the market over the last 18 months-ish. So, you know, it's, it's a very volatile time right now for an independent smaller carrier, um, rising costs, <clears throat> Uh, lower freight volume, lower rates. Um, however, you still haven't seen a complete uh, drawback on the rates to pre-2020 levels. And so those, you know, when you look at what your average rate per mile for us anyway to our carriers has fallen some, but we're still in the 375 a mile to um, our carriers on an average length of haul of around 675 miles. So we've been able to maintain a, a significant market share and, and at contractual rates that are locked in. So, you know, we feel very good about our carrier partnerships and continuing those rates at, at the levels that those carriers are, are used to. Um, but it's going to be a tough, a tough road in, in terms of spot freight, in terms of rejections and, and overall volume. Yes. Yeah, so what's the remainder of 2022 look for you guys and into 2023? You guys looking at expansion or uh, what's going on there at Loadsmith? Yeah. So we, you know, we have an office in, in, in Denver, which is our headquarters. We have an office in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we just opened an office in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, our, you know, our growth in the next, gosh, 60 days, we're going to have a lot more um, announcements in terms of things that, that, initiatives that we're working on, things that we've been working on since the very beginning that have taken, you know, two years to, to come to fruition. So, you know, lots of news ahead in terms of Loadsmith, in terms of technologies that we're bringing online, in terms of uh, changes in our, in our structure and, 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 you know, really looking in the future and what's on the horizon from uh, a technology platform perspective. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, we just are going to continue to grind our business along. Um, we're so far ahead of schedule in terms of, uh, you know, what our pro forma five year was. Be. So we're very um, bullish on the future of Loadsmith. And, you know, these these new technology things are these initiatives that are really creating our platform uh, are going to be substantial in terms of the, the future. And in the future, I'm not talking, you know, six months from now, we're talking what's our roadmap for the next five to 10 to 15 years. Uh, and, and how are we, what are the things that we're working on for the first, you know, we, we, we often talk about how we're in the top of the second inning of our business. Well, what all the work that we did in the first inning goes into the second inning, third, et cetera. And it's a compounding effect. And so uh, very, very bullish for the future. We just were 
awarded Blue Triton's uh, Carrier of the Year for 2021, which was uh, really endearing for me. There's a lot of meaning behind that, um, you know, in our second year to be recognized. I think that that's the type of grind that, that we talk about internally in terms of, you know, how do we resonate with a, with a customer? How do we grow with that customer? How do we live up to our brand promise to that customer? Um, and then how do we replicate that over and over and over again with multiple customers? Brett, thank you so much. We hear everything you're, you're saying here. Go check them out. What's the best site for them to go over to, Brett? Uh, just loadsmith.com. And if you're a carrier, app.loadsmith.com has our entire loads. Uh, you can see everything uh, fully transparent on every load we have. Um, you can book it directly from our website if you'd like, but we're a Billy's and Joe's organization. So we prefer the phone call and the conversation um, much more than just the X's and O's. There you go. Thank you so much, Brett. Take it easy. Thanks, guys. You know, a lot of VCs, right? They take life a quarter mile at a time, like Dom in Fast and the Furious. He was talking way, yeah. way long term. That's Brett was true. talking way long term. Oh, yeah. A little big deal, little deal. Let's do that. Big deal. Little deal. Timeless, classic approach. Talk about them, right? Yeah. All right. Well, hey, last Thursday, Google announced that they will be launching the Last Mile Fleet Solution from its Google Maps platform and Cloud Fleet Routing API from Google Cloud. It's going to help fleet operators optimize their delivery performance. The former solution is currently in public overview for select companies, so already piloting this thing. Yeah. Kind of like Amazon was doing, mm. like a little bit in the dark. Well, the later will become available in Q2. Is this a big deal, little deal? Google getting into freight. Look, getting into freight, yeah. Uh, I, I, it's a big deal. To me, I think it's a big deal. Yeah. They're, they're experts at the maps. They've got a lot of connectivity there, and they can give you that micro, real-time what's going down on uh, the street level, right? And accuracy of addresses. Uh, there's, there's a bunch going on there, and... Uh, you know, people are expecting faster and faster delivery right now. So this is a huge mark. This end of end of end of uh, last mile. The yeah, there's last, a last mile. Right? There's a McKinsey report that just came out and said nine in ten Americans expect two to three day yeah. shipping, and they expect it to be free. Still, even after these two years of uh, pandemic training, knowing things are getting a little more difficult. Home delivery is also gained in popularity, and last mile is the most expensive. Like forty percent accounts for forty percent of all supply chain costs. However. Counterpoint, Google also had, like, Google Plus, Google yeah, Wave. Yeah. Not every Google product is successful. No, they're, they're not. But I, I think it's a big deal just because the, the potential is there. Of course. The potential is. is there. So, here, big deal, little deal. A TikToker, Lauren, at 17, 17, 17. Yes. Right? You know them well. Caught the happiest trucker on earth. Oh. On, <laughs> right? On camera. This is, there, we got it right here. This extended cab rig adorned with all sorts of Disney uh, IP there. Brother, yeah. what do you think of that? Big deal, little deal. You were just yeah, well. Disney I mean, th well, I think it's cool. I mean, I don't, were they inspired by my trip to? Uh, to I think Disney so. Just I think recently? it's in honor of the uh, Dooner family trip. You know, those Disney IP lawyers can be uh, pretty intense. So I guess uh, the driver just be careful out there. Don't get a uh, you know. Don't that's get Johnny question. Law you. That's my question. Does he have licensing rights here? Um, is this a Disney driver? Um, I yeah, I think it's all right. I don't. If I wish I get a better look to see if like the art and the, like the thematics kind of work out, I'm a little iffy on like if I. Fully like the design here. Well, I mean, if I was going to go on full on Disney, my choice would be different stuff than what's on there right now. But yeah, it looks pretty cool. Uh, is the inside on brand too? Is what I'd ask. Is that big extended cab? Do you think uh, they have like a full on like Disney bedroom? Yeah, I don't know. 
I have no idea. What when he what's his horn music like too? All right. Well, little I think actually I think it was uh, the the grumpy song. Oh, I hope. Oh. All right, let's let, let's roll this tape. You tell me if this is a big deal, little deal. Let's play this one right here. So on March seventeenth, approximately eleven thirty a.m., the Rain Police Department responded to a single vehicle accident involving a twenty eleven KW tractor and trailer. The vehicle was traveling east on Interstate ten when, for unknown reasons, it did that. It flew off the side, drove off the side of the road, right through the embankment, down over the side of the hill, across uh, multiple lanes of traffic going both directions, yeah. and then he just took off the other side of the screen. I don't just- know. Did he end up back on the highway? Kept on Did he get going, right man. back on, right on that exit maybe, there? Maybe that was the issue. He got off and decided, wait a minute, I don't need to get off. Oh, no, he didn't. It says the tractor caught fire, and the Rain Volunteer Fire Department was called to the scene to extinguish the blaze. The oh. driver and the tractor, they only had minor injuries. Accident is still under investigation. That could have gone way worse. Big deal, little deal, though. I, it's a big, it's, it's an avoided big deal. It's a, it's a, it's a, it could have been a big deal. So a little, little deal, except if you look at it from the angle that that's actually a, 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 an autonomous vehicle that's running on uh, the new Google app for, uh, could be, I, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't, don't think there are reports of that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Here's a big deal, little deal for you. According to Miami News 7, uh, Miami, a, a thief caught on camera burglarizing Miami shoe store leaves with 20 sneakers, my friend. The store owner said oh. that they suffered a 15000 to $20,000 loss, and they don't have any insurance, my friend. Oh. Uh, the crooks, there are actually three different holes on the top of the roof to try and get in here to steal this stuff. Uh, but the problem is they only took left shoes. You know, I saw this video. We don't have, we don't have the video, but I saw the video, and um, he was just taking the display shoes. Like he didn't go in the back and be yeah. like, oh, "Okay, these are what they have. I need to take like a bunch of 11s or 11 and a half or something like that." Yeah. He literally just took like the, the display left sneakers. Uh, the guy who owns the store, he's like, "Bring it back, you idiot! Like, how are you gonna wear one left shoes?" Right? He said, <laughs> "Just come forward, drop off the shoes, leave them here. I I don't need to turn them over to the cops. I don't care about that. I pray that God puts some sense into them and just do the right thing." And it was pretty senseless because he said most of the damage was from those holes in, in the roof, not even like a bunch of left sneakers being stolen. <laughs> I guess the guy just, I don't know, got in there panicked and just grabbed the stuff. I don't know. Well, great guess scene. what? The big, the, that, that's a little deal, by the way. Get yeah, insurance. Don't is. like not have insurance. That's not a great excuse. Yeah, don't have insurance. Don't that not have insurance. Sneakers, which is like a high lift item. Go talk to travelers and Scott Cornell. Don't cry to us about people cutting yeah, holes in your roof. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Insure the shoe thing. that you put out. Yeah, there. but you should get insurance. You should. All right. The, the most boring person in the world. That, speaking of most boring, that's probably me chastising you about getting insurance. The most boring <laughs> person in the world has been revealed by the University of Essex what? Research. And it's a religious data entry worker who likes watching TV and lives in a town. After examining more than 500 people across five experiments, researchers found the blandest jobs are seen as data analysts, accounting, cleaning, and banking. The paper published in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. I know you're a subscriber also described the dullest hobbies were seen to be religion watching tv bird watching and smoking boring people were also perceived to sun to shun large settlements and to live in big bigger towns uh big deal little deal so they're saying that recluses are pretty they boring are, yeah. is if that what they're saying if you're a recluse you're boring in your backyard you're a boring person <laughs> yeah okay so a religious data entry person who watches bird shows on tv and smokes well they, the top five most boring <laughs> jobs are data analysts accounting tax insurance and cleaning and banking the top Five most exciting jobs performing arts. Hey, hey, look at me up here. Science, journalism, health professional, and teaching inspiring those young minds. Top five most boring hobbies. 
Hobbies, hobbits, sleeping, hobbits. religion. I don't know if I'd call that a hobbit. The hobbit, a hobby. <laughs> Watching TV, <laughs> observing animals, mathematics. My boring hobby is mispronouncing words on Freightwaves TV shows. Five minutes for Rat Timmy the Dude. Five minutes Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere.